All right, let's let's pray. Father, as we come to you tonight to hear from you, Lord, we know you are a sovereign God. You're a omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God who has granted us an understanding by the power of your Spirit as your children to know you and to know what you mean by what you say. We are so dependent upon you for everything, and your word is all we need for life and godliness. You have provided all that we need. And so, Lord, help us to receive what you have. Help us to take it in, to embrace it, to trust it, to follow it to learn from it, and to share it with others that they too might know Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, thank you for those who are here tonight and for our time together. Bless it to your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles tonight and open them to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, we're focusing our attention again on the subject of avoiding the virus of hypocrisy for the sake of the gospel. And I want to read for us verses 11 through 21 in order to set our minds back on the subject at hand. The Apostle Paul says to the believers in Galatia, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, then how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and sinners from and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because since by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Of course, we understand the hypocrisy of the Apostle Peter was both shocking and revealing. It was shocking for us to see because it revealed to us just how easy it is to live in such a way that is, as Paul said it, not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. The Apostle Peter was living in such a way whereby the gospel was being clouded. In fact, the impact and the potential, in fact, was already having an effect, wasn't even necessarily potential effect, it was already having its way upon many, to the extent that Paul found it necessary to even rebuke Peter in public. I was thinking about that. It's a sad reality, isn't it, when from time to time within evangelicalism there is this need for calling out those who are willfully leading others astray concerning the gospel. Others who are saying things and doing things and living in such a way that causes the truth of the gospel to be like it was for the Galatians, clouded, not as it ought to be, not clear. What specifically, though, was Paul concerned about? Paul was concerned that when it comes to the gospel, what it is that we should be careful about, even in our own life when it comes to the big gospel, is that the truth of the gospel be seen so clearly that the truth of the gospel, as he said to the Galatians, might remain with you. Remember back in verse 5, we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the gospel or the truth of the gospel might remain with you. So Paul is concerned in reference to the gospel, and we ought to be concerned in reference to the gospel. The Apostle Paul is concerned with perverting the doctrine of justification. That's really what he's dealing with. The doctrine of justification. That is the basic doctrine of this entire letter. The reality of how someone is justified before God. And he begins in chapter 2, verse 15, and goes down through verse 21, speaking to this very issue with specificity, and we can gain a better understanding about the doctrine of justification as we listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, so that it is not perverted in our own life when we live the gospel. And I want us to ask ourselves tonight a few questions so that we can find clarity on this issue. Because the Apostle Paul, being so concerned 
is really asking some questions. The first question that we can ask ourselves is this. What is it that we are relying upon or trusting in for our right standing before God? That may sound to you like a strange question because we believe upon Jesus Christ, but it needs to be asked because very often within evangelicalism there is a confusion as to justification And I say that because very often you will find believers, true believers, who are actually living in such a way whereby they are placing their justification in front of and on top of sanctification, or they are replacing, really, sanctification, the outworking of holiness in one's life, and thinking in such a way that that is a means by which God loves them. So we have to ask this first question, what are we relying upon or what are we trusting in for our right standing before God? Notice in verses 15 and 16, Paul says it this way, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. (coughs) That is one long sentence. It's two verses, but it's one sentence. In other words, there's only one main drive to those words. And it is summed up in the question that we have asked ourselves. It is summed up in the question that says, what are we relying upon or trusting in for our right standing before God? And when we boil it all down, this is the core truth of the gospel. When we boil everything down, when it comes to all the details about the gospel, this is the core truth, the doctrine of justification. If we pervert or disguise or cloud in any kind of way the doctrine of justification, then the gospel is confusing. On what basis is any person declared righteous before God? Well, in Antioch, where Paul was addressing the issue with the Galatians and saying to the Galatians, this is what happened in Antioch, the Apostle Paul spoke to this issue with such directness because of the implications of Peter's behavioral compromise. And that's what he's saying back in verse 11 when Cephas came to Antioch. So Paul is saying to the Galatians, listen, here's the scenario that took happen, happen within evangelicalism when I was in Antioch and the apostle Peter came to Antioch. He stayed aloof from the Gentiles. And we know from our study last time, he stayed aloof because there was a desire from Peter and we, we know this because Peter did this, there was a desire in some way to be in the group that came from Jerusalem. <laughs> he was, as it said, fearing them. There was a sense in which he feared some kind of retribution 
from them in light of what he was doing. And in doing so, because he began to act differently, in that acting differently, he was sending a clear message about what really matters in order to be justified. What is it that God really accepts to to stand before him in righteousness? Peter was sending a clear-cut, fogged view of the gospel. He was saying, in essence, keep the works of the law. Don't trust in Christ alone. It's okay for you to believe in Christ, but you need to carry out the works of the law. And we notice that that is simply strict religious presumption. That is religious presumption. For a person to presume that God would grant them favor because of what they do or even who they are is religious presumption. And that is the implication that we hear in verse 15. Uh, Just to kind of refer back a little bit, Peter says in verse 14, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, then I confronted Peter and I said, how is it that you, a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, but how is it that you compel them to live like you? And then he gets into this question in verse 15. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. The implication is here in verse 15, because of who we are as Jews, we have a place before God. That's a presumption that the Jews had. That is a presumption that Paul is highlighting here. He's saying we're Jews by nature. We're not of the sinners like the Gentiles. We cannot presume because of that, that we have a place with God. That is simple religious presumption. But that is a constant temptation for every Jew. Why? Because they had been given the law. They had the law of God passed down to them by Moses. They were the chosen nation of God. They had been chosen by God supernaturally through through God's gracious plan of redemption. And His plan was to bring about redemption to all who would believe. The gospel came through the Jewish people. So with all of their natural heritage and with all of that special privilege, it would have been hard for them to think that they were a people that did not have favor with God. That somehow they were like everybody else. We are Jews by nature. We are not sinners from among those who are not Jews by nature. That's Paul's implication. He's saying, I was challenging Peter on this very level. You cannot presume that because you are a Jew by nature that somehow God has favor with you. That is religious presumption. Certainly we remember what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, the Pharisees had come down. John is beginning to baptize people in the Jordan River, and some who came down were the Pharisees, and he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. See, John the Baptist was saying, listen, the temptation for you is to think that because you're a Jew, you have some kind of favor with God because of your heritage. Don't presume that you have favor with God. Don't presume that because you have Abraham as your father that you are okay with God. God is able to raise up from these stones, sons of Abraham. So John the Baptist was saying, why did you come here? Why did you come here? Don't think, don't think that your heritage will justify you before God. But as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, it's not only the Jews that have that difficulty. It's not only the Jews that, that, that have that temptation of presumption. Because it's not simply a Jewish issue, it's a humanity issue. It's a problem with humanity. To presume upon the grace of God happens every day, doesn't it? To presume that God would show us grace or that God must or that God is obligated to show us grace, that happens in every part of the world. Why? Because that's one of the ways that sinful people are able to cope. That's one of the ways that sinful people get through difficult times with the reality of their own sin and the reality of its penalty. We presume upon God. This is the pagan world around us. This is, this is what happens with family and friends who do not know Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard anyone say this? Well, God is a loving God. I've heard you even tell me that as a family member. God is a loving God, and if God is a loving God, then he would never send anyone to hell. That's presumption. That's presumption. That's deceiving oneself into believing everything's just going to turn out okay. Everything's going to turn out okay. God will let me in. It's presumption. It's presuming something about God that is not factual. Part of the sadness of the Apostle Paul and the reason that he's so urgent about defending the gospel is because the attitude of presumption is a temptation for the Christian. It's a temptation for the Christian. You notice even back in verse 13, the rest of the Jews joined Peter in his hypocrisy. And that result had a trickle-down effect that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. The implication there is that, that if that's allowed to go, if the gospel is allowed to be fogged in the eyes of others, then sooner or later the Galatians are going to be affected by that. And in fact, they were. Galatians chapter 3, the only thing I want to know, Peter says, in, or Paul says in verse 2, the only thing I want to find out from you is did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That's all I want to know. Did you receive it by the works of the law or by faith? Presumption is the sin of all Mankind presumption is even in the heart 
as a temptation for the Christian. We see it today. We see it today. Maybe, maybe you've even thought this way. But I certainly know there are people within evangelicalism who presume that if someone is baptized, then certainly they are justified. Certainly they can stand before God as right. Or maybe if they take communion, they're justified. See, parents do that with their kids. Oftentimes they'll allow their children or allow someone they know to receive communion because it's there and it's passing by. And so their kids don't understand it. They're not believers. They don't understand the truth of communion and and what it means. And that really, if you're not saved, you're bringing condemnation upon yourself. They assume that if they take it, they're justified. Or maybe if they've grown up in a Christian home. I I grew up in a home where my parents went to church and they took me to church and certainly I am justified. Or or I've attended a church to where the Bible is taught that that's enough to be justified. Or like someone in my own extended family said one time, well, everybody's a Christian. What religion are they? The entire Catholic system The system of justification in the Catholic world is built upon the presumption that if you do the seven sacraments of the church, if you ensure that you attend Mass, that you don't commit a mortal sin, then you will eventually be justified before God. All of that is the presumption that God is somehow obligated to justify us if we do certain things, if we carry out certain things. I think probably the most deceptive, even if I can refer to it in that way, they're all damningly deceptive. I think the most deceptive is to presume that God loves us and justifies us because we are somehow worthy of it. God loves us and justifies us because of our value, because of who we are. I was talking with an individual recently about this very thing and about the Christian's view of our value in the eyes of God. We were discussing how the Christian is to view ourselves in the eyes of God prior to salvation, why God saved us. Because there is a subtle tendency within even the Christian heart and within evangelicalism as a whole to see God's grace and to see God's love toward us because of our own inherent lovability. I've noticed that we evangelicals sometimes even explain the gospel with particular reference to the love of God for the world. Sometimes we run right there. After all, the Bible says that, right? John 3.16. Well, it is true. That is right. There is a sense in which there is a love that God has for His entire creation. It's certainly biblical, however, sometimes it's implied as though God was obligated, or that God is, in fact, obligated to savingly love us because of our lovability. In other words, God so loved us because we're so lovable. 
That's why He sent His Son, because we're so lovable. I have actually heard people say, Christian people say, God loved us so much and wanted to be in a relationship with us so badly that He gave His own Son for us so that we could be with Him forever. Sounds very sweet. Sounds very nice when you hear that. But when I hear that, I wonder if they mean that the lovability of the person is what drove God to love them. The lovability of the person. Is that why God saved us? I hear that sometimes almost as if God would have been out of His mind. God would have been, in fact, somehow crazy to not save because we're so lovable. But that kind of thought actually turns the gospel and the doctrine of justification upside down. It's really born out of sinful presumption. That we presume that God loved us because we're so lovable. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says that God exercised his love this way. Here's how God exercised his love while we were yet sinners, while we were unlovely, Christ died for us. I love the way the Apostle Paul says it. 1 Corinthians chapter. I didn't put the chapter in here. But he uses unlovely terms to describe us before salvation. He says, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolater, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, no one like that will be saved, or we might even say be savingly loved by God, not the sexually immoral, the idolater, the adulterers, the, those who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. And then he says this, but such were some of you. Such were some of you. Paul certainly is implying a universal truth in those verses that without Christ we are unlovely. And I think it's good to remind ourselves that that was our actual value before God, before He saved us. We were unlovely. Such were some of us. We were, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, we were all by nature children of wrath And He saved us so that He, so to the praise of His glory, so that we might be to the praise of His glory. That's why He saved us. So presumption is a form of self-righteousness, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Galatians. Listen, don't think as he's rebuking Peter and defending the gospel and defending justification by faith alone, he's saying to Peter, listen, Peter, don't think that your heritage is enough. Your heritage isn't enough. 
Self-righteousness says that I'm either inherently acceptable because of who I am, because of my heritage, or I'm valuable because of what I've done. That's presumption. Like, turn over for a moment to, to, to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Because Jesus, Jesus talks about self-righteousness with very head-on terminology. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, And he also told this parable to certain ones, notice, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. That's, that's the other side of the coin. When you have presumption, righteous, religious presumption, or as it's said here, a trusting in yourself for your own righteousness, the other side of the coin is you view others with contempt. You think they're lower than you. You think they're worse than you. And so Jesus tells this parable to certain ones who were like that. It says in verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer. Two polar opposites in the community. One a highly religious person, another a highly uh, denigrated, if you will, someone who was an outcast person. He worked for the Roman government. He was one who came to take your money. And the Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this guy here in the temple with me. Because I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. I am one who deserves and you are obligated to justify me because of who I am, because of what I do. Verse 13, but the tax gatherer standing some distance away, not even willing to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Implication there is that in his words, he, he didn't even look outside of himself. He didn't look at anybody around him. He saw himself as the sinner. Much like the Apostle Paul says that he was the chief of sinners. This tax gatherer, this outcast of society whom Jesus is using in the parable to make his point is one who sees himself rightly before God. He is not one who is trusting in himself for his own righteousness. In fact, he believes he doesn't deserve any of God's mercy. I'm simply the sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, <clears throat> surely pointing at the tax gatherer, this man went to his house, what? Justified. He went to his house justified rather than the other. Why? Before, because everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be 
exalted. There's another principle. There's another principle of religious presumption. It is self-exalting. Self-exalting. It is religious presumption to think yourself that in your heritage or in your doing you can be righteous. It is contemptuous in the eyes of the religiously righteous to think of others because they see others as down below them. And it is self-exalting, prideful think that God is obligated in any way to save you because of who you are. Well, that's the first question that we need to ask. When it comes to justification, we need to ask, upon what am I relying for my justification? Upon what am I relying? Peter, Paul is saying to Peter, listen, Peter, upon what are you relying for your justification? Who you are? What you're doing? Who you're around? But there's a second question that's helpful, and it's this. Am I convinced, am I convinced that the reliable basis for justification is Christ alone? Am I convinced that the reliable basis for justification is Christ alone? Notice verse 16. Peter says, nevertheless, knowing that man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Am I convinced that the reliable basis for justification is through Jesus Christ? What is Paul saying? Paul is saying to the Galatians what he said to Peter, and what he said to Peter was this, you know that even though we are Jews by birth, even though our nature and heritage is a privileged heritage, even though we know that we are not of the Gentiles, therefore you should also know that the only reliable basis for our justification is through Jesus Christ. You should know that better than anybody because you are a Jew. You know that you cannot attain to justification on your own. You know that a person isn't justified by doing the works of the law. That has been unequivocally proven in our very lives, Paul is saying. We lived as Jews. We are Jews by nature. We lived as Jews. Nevertheless, even that, we know. <laughs> That a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith Christ Jesus. Why does the law, why does keeping the works of the law, why does religious activity not work? Why doesn't it work? Because the law cannot deal with the problem of sin. Law cannot deal with the problem of sin. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. In other words, the writer of Hebrews in essence is saying, go ahead, kill all the animals you want. Sacrifice until the cows again come home. 
And by implication, do all of the rituals that you want. Practice all of the things that you want. Do them. Complete every sacrament sacrament that you want to and need to. Go through all of the activities. Nothing will remove sin's penalty. That was the problem with the law. It never removed the penalty for sin. It only uncovered more and more ways of sinning. But it never really actually dealt with the sin problem. We sing about this in in the church. We sing about it. You know what the song is? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sing about that. That song's about justification. What can wash away the, my sin? The activities, the religious efforts, the duties, the heritage, nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So are we convinced that it's only through the blood of Jesus that we are justified? That's the question. Are we convinced that only through the blood of Jesus Christ are we justified? And third, the third question is this. Are we therefore, in light of that, entrusting ourselves to Jesus for our justification? Are we therefore entrusting ourselves to Jesus for our justification? You see what Peter says, even we, middle of the verse, verse 16, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So I I trust we can see the logic of the Apostle Paul as he argues his point with the Apostle Peter as he relays what happened between he and Peter himself. He knows the truth. And he knows that Peter knows the truth. That's why he says, even we have believed. Listen, Peter, we're Jews. We got all the heritage in the world. So why is it? That you as a Jew, who live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, now you want the Gentiles to be like the Jews. We have a heritage of Jewish nature. We're not like the Gentiles, but we know, you know and I know, that no man is justified by the law. We know that. It's been proven in our own lives. It's been proven through the heritage of our family lines. It's been proven in Israel's very heritage. It's been shown in the law and the prophets that it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So even we have believed, even we have trusted in Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Peter, you know this. We know that the only way to be justified is through the provision of Jesus Christ and not in any way by means of our own effort-keeping. Now, I want to just take a minute and split hairs a bit. When it comes to the gospel, and very often when it comes to our sharing of the gospel, 
telling others about Jesus Christ. Oftentimes we say to people, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus or, or you need to have faith. We say that. Now, those statements are not wrong statements. They're not unbiblical statements in and of themselves. Because in order to be saved, you do need to believe. You need to have faith. But sometimes those terms can be confused by how they're understood today. Because very often belief or faith refer to some kind of intellectual exercise. I believe my car will take me home. I, I believe if I get a shot, it will help me. Some kind of intellectual exercise rather than what we know them to mean biblically. Belief and faith mean not simply intellect. When Paul says, for even we believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be justified in Christ and not by works of law, he does not mean that it was a set of facts that he and Peter only made an intellectual assent and agreement with. That they heard about the things of Jesus, they heard that he had done some great things, Peter walked with Jesus even and saw him do things, and intellectually he believed. That's not what he's saying. What Paul means here, and what Peter understood, and what Paul understood, was that because they entrusted themselves to Jesus, they therefore did not entrust themselves to their own efforts. They began to live differently because of it. That's the essence of belief and faith. Because they knew that through the death of Jesus they were justified before God and that the penalty of their sin was no longer upon them. Therefore, they could stop striving for justification by their efforts. Because they were secure in Jesus Christ by faith, they no longer had to follow by means for justification the works of the law. They were justified. So when the Apostle Paul says we believed, he means we entrusted ourselves to Christ. And because we entrusted ourselves to Christ, we stopped living according to the works of the law. We stopped striving for it. Not because God said don't do the law anymore, but because by the works of the law, no flesh is justified. It isn't as if we aren't to, that, that the laws aren't good things to follow. That's not the issue, but they cannot be followed in order to be justified. There is no justification through the law. So I split that hair a little bit here because I believe that the word entrust is a better word in our day. Entrust. It's a word that encompasses both belief and faith. Why? Because it implies a reliance upon. I've entrusted myself to it. Paul's saying we, we are relying upon Jesus Christ for justification. We are relying upon Him. We have entrusted ourselves to Him. 
And the Galatians were being confused about that through the actions of Peter. See, Peter had gone back to clouding this very reality in his own mind and heart. Peter had gone back to the, to the thought that it was mere intellectual belief in Jesus and that justification actually came through following rules. That's why he feared the party of the circumcision and began to live in a hypocritical way when it came to the gospel. In fact, as I noted already, chapter 3, verses 1-3, Paul calls the Galatians out for this very fact himself. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You see, there's that position of justification and sanctification, walking side by side. You began by faith, and now you're trying to be perfected by your efforts. Now you've turned your sanctification into a process of justification? Cannot be. Paul says, what are you doing? You started so well. Now you've changed what it means what the means of justification is. You're saying now it's your efforts. Paul's saying, listen, the Christian life doesn't just begin by entrusting yourself to Jesus Christ. It isn't that you just have faith unto salvation. No, each and every day is lived by faith in Jesus Christ. Each and every day is a walk of faith. And the truth of the gospel is the truth of the gospel, whether you are a Christian or not. That's the truth of the gospel. It is a walk of faith. It is an entrustment in Jesus Christ from day one to day eternity. So the truth of the gospel is the same for the new believer as it is for the mature believer. It's always the same. Are we entrusting ourselves to Christ alone? Are we entrusting ourselves to Christ alone? Why? Because the temptation is always there. Temptation is always there to, to begin to define our, our justification by what we do. And we say things like, if I do that, God won't love me anymore. Well, what we've just done is redefine justification based upon our efforts. Well, the temptation is always there. It's always going to be something to battle against. Go over to Colossians 2 for just a moment, just so we can hear Paul's words to the believers in Colossae as he challenges them on this same issue. Colossians chapter 2. Notice what he says in verse 6 and 7. It says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, how have you received him? How had they received Christ? By faith. They had trusted Christ, right? 
How do you know that? Well, well, I want you to know, verse, chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And for those in Laodicea and for all those who have not seen my face personally, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. What is that, Christ? I want you to to be solid in your entrustment to Christ because it's in Christ in whom all the are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. I, I don't want you to be drawn away by the foolishness that's out there that some come along and say, hey, listen, justification is some other way. Jesus is good, but he isn't enough. I don't want you to be drawn away by that. For even though I'm absent in the body, nevertheless I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. So as you therefore have received Christ, that is by faith, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. It's a faith. It's a faith that, that, that enters us in. It's a faith that continues us in. It's a walk of faith. And it's by faith that we live, and it's by faith that we the battle the temptations that come to us and, and the opposite and the false philosophies that come our way, which is why Paul says in verse 8 of that same chapter, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. See to it that someone doesn't come along and trip you up when it comes to the doctrine of justification. Subtly or even in massive ways that you follow after the traditions of men or the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. It's all about Christ. And any time you change the doctrine of justification, you change the reality of the sufficiency of Christ. You see, you came to Christ by faith. That's the only way to be justified before God. There is no other way. You started by faith. You embraced the truth of the gospel by faith. Now live by faith because you're justified. Paul says, listen, Galatians, this is what I told Peter. This is what I told a pillar in the faith, a, a, a man of reputation in Jerusalem. He was distorting the gospel by how he was living. I don't want you to be like that. You started by embracing Christ by faith. Now live by embracing Christ by faith. It's the same with us. We believe the truth of the gospel. Now we must continue to live in light of the truth of the gospel. One of my seminary professors said to us as we were students, he said, you need to be preaching the gospel truth to yourself every day. Why would he say that? We're seminary students. We're, we, we know Jesus Christ. We believe the gospel. Why would he say you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day? Well, he wasn't saying that so you'd get saved again. That can't happen. 
He was saying that to remind yourself, remind yourself often as to who you were and what God has done, and it was by faith that you were there. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one who's justified you. Preach that to yourself every day, not so that you'd get saved anew every day. That is, to say that is to deny the gospel. You cannot get saved anymore. No, you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day because the gospel reminds us that it's only in Jesus Christ that we are justified. And because we are justified in Christ... We are free, free to live in light of the gospel. We can cease to strive for our own justification. We cannot take what Christ has done once and for all. Justification, we cannot take that and make the process of our sanctification the new means for our justification. We cannot do that. Christ justifies. We live in light of that justification. So upon what are we relying for our justification? Presumption or is it Christ? Are we convinced? Are we fully convinced that Jesus is the only reliable basis for our justification? And if we're convinced of that, then are we Or have we entrusted ourselves to Jesus alone? You see, the virus of hypocrisy can be so subtle. Peter was being hypocritical. So subtle. And yet we need not be hypocrites. We say that's pretty serious that Peter was a hypocrite. Yeah, it gets even worse gets even worse. We'll get to this next time, but I'll just mention it. Notice in verse 17, but if. Here's who we are, Peter. And even we believed in Jesus Christ. We had everything going for us, and it's us. We believed in Jesus Christ because we know this. But if, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, We ourselves have also been found sinners. (laughs) In other words, if we who, who know where justification comes from, it comes from Christ, if we in that process now have turned it on its head and have begun to try to seek for justification in another way, we have also been found sinners. Is Christ then a minister of sin? Because that's what you're implying Paul says, listen, Peter, you're implying that Christ is a minister of sin because you were living like the Gentiles before and saying, that's okay. Well, if that's okay with Christ, and now you're saying that the justification is through works and through efforts and you're staying aloof from the Gentiles, then are you saying that Christ is okay with sin? Your hypocrisy is bad, but that is even worse, he says. why he gives the strongest negative that you can find in the New Testament, may genita, or may it never be. Christ is not a minister of sin. No way. You see, the virus of hypocrisy is so subtle. It's easy to do. It's easy to do for any of us. 
Peter so easily got caught up in it. And Paul is saying, listen, Galatian believers, I don't want you to be caught in it. I don't want you to be caught in it, even though some of you are already caught in it. I want to try to rescue you out of it. So you need to know. You need to know that justification is in Christ alone. You notice in verse 11 of chapter 3, know, now, know that, or now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. The righteous man shall live by faith. Righteous man shall live by faith. That's, that's where justification is. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. Let us ensure that we are striving for the gospel and not against the gospel through the virus of hypocrisy. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you tonight for this reminder, the sweet truth of justification that we can know for sure because of Jesus Christ that we are justified. We don't have to strive, make all kinds of religious efforts in order to gain your love and to earn your love and to earn your redemption. We are redeemed in Christ. We are justified. We are secure in you. That is as certain as we are here tonight breathing the air you have created. And so, Lord, help us strive not for justification, but because of justification. All to your glory and honor to the praise of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.